Hello everyone, you're listening to America Meditating Radio. We collect wisdom, inspire each other, and empower hearts on demand 24-7. I'm Sister Jenna, host of the syndicated America Meditating Radio. Join us as we talk one-on-one with leading experts who answer life's most compelling questions. Because in a world of uncertainty, we need answers right here, right now. America Meditating Radio, a show for everyone to learn more about this amazing thing called life.
strong pillar. And we somehow connected, and I loved that. She's a corporate executive, real estate developer, a community activist, survivor, and author of Slaying with My Broken Pieces. She's very active in her church and is known as a woman of strength, compassion, integrity, and excellence. She's dedicated herself to definitely helping the lives of others. Angelia's commitment to giving was ignited following a number of hard-hitting moments in her life. She made a full recovery from domestic violence and breast cancer in her later life, which profoundly strengthened her outlook in life. Committed to now share her story with others and inspiring them to reach their highest potential, today I welcome two fascinating women, Piper Dullums and Angelia Dunbar. Hello, my sweet sisters. Welcome. Hello, how are you? Good morning. Aren't you feeling the energy together, ladies? Yes. Goodness. There is something so extraordinary happening in the collective consciousness of compassion, mercy, grace, love, and faith. We are recognizing down on a cellular level and seeing with our eyes, our souls, and our spirits that there's almost a polarization happening in our society. We are seeing sacrifice on one end and selfishness on the other. And yet we know that with all of the sacrificial hearts, the giving, the bleeding out, the loving, the helping and aiding, we're coming together and we're reaching our spiritual depth so that we can encompass and control the spiritual dialogue in our society and amongst creation. I'm sitting out in my garden, clear sky, beautiful, breathing, flying. Look at you. Angelia, are you doing the same thing, too? (laughs) (laughs) I don't have a garden, but I have a place of peace. And so no matter where I am, I find peace in my place. Oh, that's so beautiful. So beautiful to hear that. I've had a marathon day today, and I find it as a blessing, no doubt, in the same token, based on what Piper just shared as well. It amazes me that it took a tragedy like this, which created an opportunity to help a particular group of us to really deepen our faith and our Mm -hmm. resilience and our goodness, but also there's some of us who have nowhere to go. But look, you both have had very strong fathers that have influenced your lives. Angelia, why don't I start with you? Tell us a little bit about your relationship with your dad and what you learned the most from him. Growing up, I always tell people I'm just a little country girl from Conway, Arkansas, and my father showed me what it was to have a solid foundation. And that foundation started with faith, meaning the spiritual base of God in our lives, and knowing what it was to live and walk in faith. And then he showed me the foundation of love, that no matter what I went through, he was there, just like our Heavenly Father. So when I go through trials and tribulations, I'm reminded that my dad, Heavenly Father and Mercy Father, has given me everything I need in this world to succeed, and that I can overcome any obstacle if I just fall back on what? My foundation and my faith. That's beautiful. Mm. Piper, what about you? Your dad's pretty well known. Well, right now you are speaking literally to a mountain in my heart. So I look at my father, both heavenly and natural, but I look at my natural father as the tree of life in my world. He shaded, protected, fed, honored, allowed me to climb to height. Um, He was honest. He was significantly and profoundly compassionate. He was fair. He taught me integrity. He taught me that it was more important to collectively heal all of humanity, to listen, to be present, to give, 
He taught me that the highest mantle was a governmental anointing and that we are most certainly in this thing called life together. He taught me that if you sneeze in the Middle East, you catch a cold in the United States, that it takes a village. He taught me what love is, what forgiveness is. He was an extraordinary human being. Even in his frailty towards the end of his life, he taught me courage, wisdom, and strength. He is probably the wind beneath my wings and the reason and purpose that I'm doing all that I'm doing. I bet, and even more. You know, I'd love to learn more about both of you. You're in a particular area in life where you're dealing with a particular sector of the society that has remained silent for a long time because of the fear that's imposed on the majority of women who are caught up in very traumatic situations. Do you mind if I were Mm -hmm. to ask, were you both ever in that sort of situation? And the reason why I'm asking, considering the fact that you came from such strong fathers, was that a reoccurring theme in your mind if you were going through violence or any sort of emotional or physical abuse? Did you find a consistent theme in your mind going, I don't deserve this, I can't be here? Piper, you want to start? Sure. That's a really great question. Yes, here's a twofold in terms of the strength of my father. You must remember when he was elected to Congress, I was four years old, and he stayed in political office until I was 54 years old. So I went through having an absentee father that I could look at on stages and read about because he was traveling the world, ending apartheid, Russia, Grenada, Haiti, Cuba, the Cuban Missile Crisis, you name it. So I learned at an early age a false belief that I wasn't as important as the world. So I learned how to take any blows or any significant traumas that came my way and walk them out in silence. So I redirected what I thought was faith and courage to stay in the center of fire and martyr myself. And that was a miscommunication to the young, the immature woman inside of me. So, yes, when I went through emotional abuse in relationships, I stayed. Because you were accustomed to being in the midst of the fire, knowing that at some point in time you would be okay. Yes, and also because I felt as if unconditional love meant you stay despite, you fight despite, you stand in the center because you're woman, you're ferocious, you're powerful. You can heal and overcome and change and transition any situation, leaving, of course, out that an individual has to want to change. So I put myself in the driver's seat of God. And that caused a lot of trauma in my life, but it also evolved and stretched me so that I could continue to ascend towards something new and different. And I'm a rape survivor as well. So I have survived a lot of violence, abuse, and trauma on one end. But on the other end, I know that that was my Moses mantle that allowed me to get out of the palace and into the wilderness. I needed that so that I could step into my legacy and destiny of turning back and calling out the other captives and saying, let's go, set my people free, and I will fight until the Red Sea parts for women until my last breath. Beautiful, Mm. beautiful. Angelia, what about you? Tell us a little bit about you. Yes, so my father always displayed love. 
And I can say he was a perfect man. He was perfect for our family. And going back on that faith, the one thing I know is because of what the Word of God said, I was a victim of abuse, but I realized that's not what love was and was not what God is. And so when I think about 1 Corinthians 13, it says love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resistful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoice with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. That's my foundation. So when I was being a victim of abuse, it's not because my father showed me that by doing that to my mother or my sister or to myself. It's because I was put in a position to make a decision. And when I had to make that decision, I had to say, you know, I know marriage is something people stand firmly on, even myself. I know God hates divorce, but I know he also hates for his children to be abused. So I had to realize what was my calling for and how can I reach that? My father always told me, you have to stand for something. And no matter what you stand for, believe in what you're standing for. And I knew I had to stand for the truth. And I couldn't stay in that situation and allow any other person to go through what I was going through because of what my father had said and because of what he showed me. So I knew I had to get out to rescue me so I could rescue someone else. Beautiful. Mm. Now, for the role of women in particular situations like that, and for those who might be listening and those who might know of someone who is in that position but might be afraid of speaking up, because, you know, those women or people who are outside of a domestic violence situation tend to have a different perspective. They don't really understand what's happening could you shed a little bit of light as to what kept you there for the time period that it did? Was it the religion? Was it the feeling that, oh, they're going to change? Was it that, I don't know if I'm worthy enough? Do you remember what it was that kept you there for as long as it did until you got out? Oh, I can answer that easily. Yeah, it's a mixture of all things. I did feel unworthy because I felt like this was a position I'd never been put in before. So for me to be in this position, I start saying, what am I doing wrong? What did I do? How did I cause this? How did I see this coming? But I started questioning who I really was. And I had to say, okay, if I leave, am I going to be looked at as being a failure? Am I letting my family down? Am I letting God down because of my vows and my covenant? You know, and am I letting my son down? I was a parent at the time. I had my son. But I started saying, what about you? God covers us. So everybody's faith is different. So I tell people at the end of the day, I don't remove faith. But for those who don't believe, if you remove faith, what about you? Who were you created to be? Who are you designed to be? And why should you have to tolerate that abuse? Because it's hard to get out, but it's harder to stay in. So I couldn't stay in knowing that I was going to die. I couldn't stay in knowing that I told myself I didn't matter because someone else was showing me that I didn't matter. And I had to find that inner strength, and I had to choose to live and say, hey, you know what, you're going to make it. You can walk forth in your royal priesthood. You know, we were created to be such royalty, and royalty is not to be broken. Royalty is not to be destroyed. It's to be loved on and cherished. And I mean, it's the highest of high. So I had to say, you know what, I can overcome this. I'm an overcomer. Right. I think there are these extraordinary little facets that all combine themselves when you're talking about victimization and abuse. There is a slow modeling or priming for financial degradation and control that most abusers take into consideration as they're manipulating the mind and the spirit and the physical stretch of their victim. So once they control all of the money, once they have controlled your mind, 
there is also a fear that comes with the codependency where many women are challenged with, where will I go? Who will have me? How will I survive? And that is a threat to the very basic foundation of a lot of women's faith. It's an extraordinary blessing that Angelia had such a strong foundation of faith. But for many women that are going through physical and emotional violence, domestic violence, sexual trauma, it's not as if it happens overnight. It's days and months and years of preparing their minds to be controlled, preparing their bodies to be controlled. For an example, my work right now with rescued trafficked teens and a lot of them from very good families. And it is shocking to see that children from the ages of 13 to 18 could be screaming and crying to be returned to their pimps because they believe in this indoctrination of how those pimps defined love. One of the young girls was crying and screaming so much to get back to the love of her life who had beaten her mercilessly and sold her on every corner and every john. So we simply asked her, how do you know that he loves you? And her response was, when he put the gun to my head, he didn't pull the trigger like he did on the other girls. That lets you know that she has been controlled to such a degree that a slither of survival is her definition of love. I've heard of cases, many, I've many. worked with cases like this, and it shocks me till today that consciousness can be so conditioned at such a level that we can't see or feel who we are. And especially when you're young, Piper and Angelia, it's not even easy to discern who am I, what am I. Now, you know, this COVID-19 is no joke. It has locked people up in houses. And I would have thought, ladies, that this was, like, really bad in America. But it has become a worldwide problem where there is a dramatic increase in shelters Mm -hmm. because now women are in a horrible situation by staying home with these men who are very aggressive. Tell us, like, what should they do in this particular time? I mean, what is it? Because we don't have a lot of support groups for men who are very violent with their wives or with their partners. There's a big conversation to happen here. It's a very big conversation, and we're also forgetting the silent victim in most of those situations, and those are the children. Most of the children that are in the center of abusive households or households where addiction, school was the only outlet of safety for them, oftentimes and predominantly the only place where they had food, consistent meal, and someone to talk with. It was eight hours of safety going to and from school. So what's happening now online and all around, there is a universal safety net being presented to women because we know that abusive men are controlling things like the telephone, who they can call. We know that COVID is controlling where people can go. So there is something that has been placed to be sent all over and placed on people's Instagram pages through Twitter and on Facebook that says, I believe it was started in Europe. A woman, if she can get to a grocery store or a pharmacy, she is to tell anyone behind the counter, I am looking to pick up a particular medicine. And I believe there's a number and I need to find what it is. And it's something like I need to pick up 
a purple something for breathing. And it's a universal code to say, I need help, I'm being abused. And immediately the shelters are to be called and police enforcement is to be be activated. I just witnessed to that this morning, and I should have looked at it more carefully so that I could share it with you, but I will send it to you so that you can share it with your listeners. And then we can do a promotion to get that all over and to ensure that everyone is aware that this is happening all over the world. We have to also keep in mind that a lot of women are losing their lives. The abuse has taken its toll. The percentages of domestic murder has risen greatly, and so has teenage suicide. Another group that we're forgetting about are LGBTQ teens. So we have to find a universal safety net. We have to put our minds together. We have to put out information about resources, numbers, locations. We have to mobilize ourselves as a community to pick up children, pick up teens, find a woman on a corner who will be at the Trader Joe's and get them to these safe houses. Hope Refuge is one of those safe houses. And, yes. Thank you for that. Angelia, why do you think men tend to retort to such violent forms of expression? I mean, to be very honest with you, okay, let's say I get into an angry moment, and let's say I slap somebody that I love. When I look at the person's face, and I look at their sorrow, and I look at their pain, doesn't that have an impact on him? I mean, why do men do this, Angelia? I think basically men are doing it because they're saying, I'm guilty, I love you, but this is who I am. So they really don't know how to express their emotions without doing what they're doing, by being rude or physical. I think when they look at the person, the pain that they're causing them, they're trying to figure out, okay, you know, did I really hurt them or is it something they're just trying not to get over And I just think that as a victim, we have to always just try to keep the situation calm. And when I look back on what I went through personally, I remember them looking me in my eyes and telling me, if I can't have you, no one can. But then at the same time, falling to their knees crying, saying, stop praying to God to save you, because they saw their prayers are working. And it had me in a position to where I had to figure out which way to go. Do I keep praying or do I try to run? And you just got to find that balance ourselves. There's also a societal gender identity lie where we train our young boys not to feel. We allow them as young children to fall and we say, get up, dust yourself off, be a man. But, Piper, we don't train our young boys to abuse women unless Mm -hmm. in a home of abuse. So why Mm -hmm. does he still do it? Not at all. You're right. But what I'm saying is when we train anybody to swallow their emotions, to not cry, to not feel as a society then bottled up emotion, it's like a pot overboiling. You know, we've never given a voice until very recently to male child victims of child sexual abuse. They have been silent. They have kept it in because it's equated to homosexuality. It's equated to something that they're fearful to share. There are a large percentage of male abusers were victims of sexual abuse and never told. Another percentage were victims of physical and emotional abuse and financial disparity. So there is a silent killer in the spirit and souls of a lot of victimizers. And that is that we as a society have a difficult time allowing our boys to express their trauma. We were just uncovering that the Catholic Church went through how many decades of raping and abusing boys and hiding behind the cloth. When I was in Belarus, I did work 
it took 15 years for us to uncover the homosexual pedophilia selling and raping of 10,000 orphan boys in Belarus before anybody heard their stories. By the time their stories were told, 70% of those that told were murdered. And Julia, I just think, though, when we go to respond, the man can't handle it or the victim, the person that's creating a crime that's can't right. handle it because our response is not what they want to hear. And a lot of times, mm. a strong woman can make a strong man feel weak. So, therefore, he reacts back in violence. I tell people right now with COVID, when I'm talking to people about violence and abuse, how to escape, plan it properly. Because too many people right. can just tell us, hey, just leave. But if I leave, where do I go? I have nowhere to go. That's He's it. always been my provider for my safety net. You know, I don't have the money to right. even survive the next five minutes to an hour, so now I'm going to be on the street and facing more victimization. Right. When I honor survivors of homelessness, they were teaching me how they had to literally sleep with their feet folded upward like they were in a fetal position so that if someone tried to rape them, they could stretch out and attack and turn over and flip them. So I was learning all these things and spending time with victims only to realize it's easy to say leave, but you have to make sure they're positioned properly to be successful because when they run to family members and friends to escape, when we get there, we don't tell them, hey, he almost killed me last night, I'm coming here. So as he's looking for where to find you, He's going to your friends, but you didn't put them on the proper notification. Hey, he's coming with a gun so they can protect themselves. You know, if you're trying to save yeah. your family, you have to find a safe place. And you got to know how to make it. Start stashing money so that you'll have some money to make yes. it to you get to the next place. But plan properly. That's with anything yeah. in life, but especially with escape. I always tell women, no matter what, when you get into a marriage, whether it's going to be good or not, always put aside something for the future, not because... Mm-hmm. You think it's not going to work, but there might be an emergency for the whole family, and because of your economy and your That's saving, right. it will help. Mm-hmm. And, Jelly, right. you said something that I want to go back to. You said that when you were praying, it sort of disarmed him. Yes. Could you it elaborate did. a little bit more on that? This particular incident, because I had two or three encounters with my first ex-husband, and when this was happening, he had called and reported me missing to the police when he knew I wasn't missing. He called my parents in Arkansas because I'm in Texas and told them I was missing when he knew I wasn't missing. So everyone was in uproar. And when I came home preparing to pack up and leave because he was supposed to be at work, he was a chef. He had a butcher knife and saw me pull up. He drug me out the car and he drug me into the apartment. And that's when he started talking crazy and he was preparing to beat me, but more importantly, kill me. And he notified me that he had told the police I was missing, told my family I was missing, and the phone was ringing. And when the phone was ringing, I went to get it. I said, that's my parents. I need to tell them that I'm okay. And he yanked the phone out the wall and threw it through the patio door. And he took a knife, and that's when he put it to his chest. He was 6'3", 300 pounds, and I'm just, I was 5'5", 120 at that time. And he put the knife in his hand. He started stabbing himself in the heart with my hand on the knife and his hand on my hand. And it was going into his chest, and I immediately started praying. And the first words I did was went back to my faith. I remember, Father, forgive him, for he knows not what he does. Don't let the blood of this man be on my hands. And I started saying a whole lot of stuff. But those were the foundations I remember prayed out loud first. And as I kept praying and praying to God and crying, the knife released from his hand and my hand. With his hand and my hand still in his chest, the knife miraculously just released. He fell to his knees, and he started crying and saying, Stop, 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 stop doing that. And I was like, wait, because I'm shocked that it happened. I knew my prayer was being prayed, but to see God act in that moment to keep wow. me from killing him, which was not my desire. I just wanted to leave. 
but he had positioned himself to make everything on me. And he said, if I can't have you, no one can. Well, he wasn't Dang. worth living for. And so prayer became essential every moment of my life, even more so, because I saw God move at a time. I didn't know if I was going to come out of that situation. He kidnapped me the day I left. It was after I left him, my grandmother died that same day. This was Valentine's Day that he tried wow. to kill himself and me. My grandmother died, so I had to leave out of town for a funeral. I came back. The apartment was packed up. I moved. He broke into my apartment two weeks later, and he kidnapped me, beat me, and tried to kill me. And wow. at that moment, I started praying, and I couldn't see. He, he beat me so bad, I was left temporarily blinded. And when I said I couldn't see, I just started praying, and I finally convinced him to take me to the hospital where they apprehended him. Oh, wow. So let me just hold a pause right there, ladies, because I know there are a lot of people who are listening in on our conversation now, and for some women mm-hmm. who are going through it, they can relate to it, and there's some that are maybe learning from it. And I just want everyone to just take a breath and pause and remember that we're talking to two women who got out of that and are continuing to stay out of it, but they're also helping many more. So sometimes our tragedy can become a triumph. And I have a really important question that I'd like to ask both of you to see if you have an answer for me. Are there any support groups for men who are driven with violent tendencies, especially towards their partners? Because when the police officers come to your homes and sees the damage the man has done, a lot of their calls that they get are for domestic violence anyway. They might take them into jail. Sometimes the woman doesn't want to press charges. But is there any kind of a mental, spiritual, emotional, psychological support for men who are in this particular state? I personally don't know of any here locally. I'm sure there's. But I personally don't know of any, but I do know that men have also become more prone to violence from women. So I've seen those groups take place, but I've not seen any to give the man help that he needs for abusing the women. They have anger management groups that oftentimes the women now do not press charges because they know that the man will be out within 72 hours and the beating or the extremity of the violence will get worse, and they still don't have an out. Even if they get to a shelter, they know that it's temporary, especially if they have children. They fear that he will find them, and as you hear from Angelia's story, they often will go out of their way to find you and to attempt to end that situation. So now women can request from the court, not just that they be incarcerated for that period of cool-off, but that they be sent to an anger management course that they must follow up and complete or they will be incarcerated for a longer period of time. That's the only program that I know has newly hit our court system to assist men in dealing with their issues. But that is a wonderful question and a wonderful resource that I think in addition we should look into so that we can get that information out as well to victims and to victimizers. Because there must be an emotional Mm. bruise that's happening very deep at the core of the man, but he just doesn't know how to talk about it. That's one. Now, again, I'm just learning as I go along with you all in this conversation, and thank you so much for being so eloquent in your responses. When you were at home in your marriage, in your relationship, 
couldn't you turn to your male friends or your family members, and again, it could be an ignorant question, to let them know that he's abusing you and you need help, and they come in and force some rules that if she comes back one more time with a bruise on her skin, consider yourself sort of a dead man or spending the rest of your life in prison, is there even that option or it just doesn't work that way? My situation was very different from Angelia's. I was never physically abused by a husband. I was raped by a stranger. The emotional abuse that I suffered under my husband was different because I was unaware and yet I had an awareness that there was sexual trauma happening to my children. And we have to keep in mind also that our judicial system seems to lean towards money more than justice. So Mm -hmm. even though I got the children out of there immediately and took them to the pediatrician and the pediatrician called CPS and the police and they went forth to do a full investigation and told me that I had to move out of my home or when and if they found my husband guilty, which they believed from the child psychologist who got information from the children over an extended period of time would occur if I stayed in that home or in that marriage, my children would become wards of the state. So, of course, I left. But on the other side of that, the extreme wealth that he had and his family had, almost like the O.J. Simpson case, they were able to put together a dream team of attorneys, costing them over millions of dollars. So it was a surprise and a shock one day to drop my children off at their preschool at the ages of three and five and go back to pick them up, and they were gone. He used that wealth to bend the system so that the DA would drop all charges. So when my children were taken, I had no recourse. By the time I got to the playground and knew that he had taken those children, he had also emptied all of the bank accounts, so I didn't have resource to pay for my home. Just pause right there. Can you tell me what was going through your mind at that time? I remember audible snap. The world tilted on its side. I knew that I was dealing with a situation where someone had enough resource to hide forever. My father, of course, became the first person that I contacted, but that was after I got into my car. I don't remember driving. I got on the San Francisco Bay Bridge. I was screaming at the top of my lungs. I jumped out of my car on one of the busiest four-lane, packed freeways, and I lay prostate in the middle of the street. It was as if I could not take another breath because I knew in the swell of my being that my children were gone and gone for an extended period. In my mind at that time, I thought extended period meant a month or two. I didn't know it was going to be eight years. Now, of course, my father being a public servant, my father gave everything to the point where he said, we just don't have the money to fight and battle and locate against this man's millions and millions and millions. It would have landed both of my parents into homelessness just trying to pay legal fees to locate and get him into a court of law. So I virtually snapped, and I separated myself from all family and friends, and I did the opposite of what Angelia did. I wished for death because I could not breathe or survive without them. And I was tragically broken by the fact that I could not protect them. So I ended up going from 130 pounds to 98 pounds, basically from a $5 million home to almost living on the streets, full-blown 
alcoholism, four and five suicide attempts, completely lost my mind. But it was the power of one woman of faith, a woman with the faith that Angelia has, who followed me into a liquor store after I had been unconscious for three straight days. And she saved my life through the power of God, through prayer, through care, through compassion. One woman who was a mother on the playground the day they disappeared saw me on the street, disheveled, a skeleton, covered in blood, vomit, everything else, and recognized me and pulled the car over and called my name. And it was the first time I had heard my name spoken in probably a year. I was just that far gone. But it was the power of God that brought me back. Let's talk about your meditation, your prayer. Tell me and tell our listeners, what form did you practice or morphed into and how did that balance you out to become the woman that you are today? That's a wonderful question. I was raised where good social liberal politics, I would say, was my faith. Doing well, you know, justice, women's rights, gay rights, human rights, environmental rights. This was the fight. Until I got married, religion was never a part of the conversation. I married a Jewish man, so it was about converting to a faith that I didn't understand. I just wanted the husband. So I went along with sort of the indoctrination of tradition, but nothing really penetrated my heart. I didn't have a relationship with God or a meditative relationship with the universe. I didn't understand that expression of connecting soul to soul, spirit to spirit. Until this woman, she brought me into a Christian church, and it was maybe one month after she followed me back to this filthy motel that I was living in waiting to die, and I told her, if you ever come back here, I will kill myself this evening. I came here to die. That's what I'm going to do, and I need for you to leave, and she said, give me one promise, and I will never come back, and I said, okay, just one, and she said, come to church with me which, of course, I refused because alcohol was pouring out of my pores. But she brought me in, and I was circled by 40 or 50 women, and they kept saying, call on Jesus. I didn't know how to do that or what that meant because I was Jewish. <laughs> and I whispered it, and they said, call again, and I whispered it. And then they said, scream it out. And when I did, something broke. My heart went from a stone to flesh. I cried a purging cry as if I was being baptized in an ocean. And I started speaking in another tongue, and I didn't even know what speaking in tongues meant. And they said, you were baptized with the Holy Spirit. I didn't know what that was. But from that moment on, my life started ascending. I stopped drinking. I started reading the Word of God. I started meditating. I started listening. I started planting gardens. I started believing. And I started surrounding myself in children as an educator so that I could rear other children since I couldn't rear my own. And then God brought my children back. Beautiful. Well, look at that. You know, prayer, meditation, contemplation. What I've noticed, ladies, is even during this COVID-19 pandemic, how many groups and organizations have retorted to prayer and meditation. So it's really a cure. It is such an important cure to bring things together when things are just falling apart. You know, you've all inspired us so much to maintain our strength and to keep our blessings, even in the small things, that it could always be worse. But the fact that you've used your faith, your strength, or someone of faith came into your life to shift it speaks volumes. 
leave our listeners with some advice which you would offer folks who might be in a life-threatening situation. Yeah, you are not alone. There are resources. We are a universal family. God will send someone to find you. Reach out. Do not be ashamed. Stay courageous. Stay fearless even in the midst of fear. Stay faithful and believe that you are worth it. Knock on any door to ask for help. There is no shame in asking for help. You receive not because you ask not. You are not alone. Mm-hmm. Beautiful. Angelia? Mine would basically be to know who you are and whose you are. Because when I go around and speak, I tell people, and I coined the phrase and trademark, write your name. And it takes people back to when you were first born. And, you know, when you're first born, you're a baby, you're pure. There is nothing. You haven't seen You don't even know what sin is. And when you write your name, you really remember your foundation and who you were called to be. And I always tell people, who were you called to be? Once you realize who you are and who you were called to be, you remember where you can go in life. Because we control our destiny, even though it seems like we're the victim. But once you control your destiny, you become the victor. And especially in COVID, one of the scriptures I went back to in the darkest moments is, your word is a lamp unto my feet and light unto my path. As long as I have God's word and he's lighting my path, I'm going to walk right as best as my ability, but I'm going to walk into my destiny knowing I am created for such a time as this, and that's to be the best version of me. Oh, Ladies, Sister you... Jenna, something popped into my spirit. Can I share it with what you? What popped into your spirit? Go ahead. Oh, my God. Let me hear it. Because I lived in Africa so much, my husband was off doing a film in Kenya. Yeah, I was mourning because he was photographing and filming the last white rhino on earth. And as I was in my garden meditating and praying on how the earth must be quaking, When creation says goodbye to a masterpiece of God, like a species, God said to me, hold on, each and every individual is the last white rhino on earth. So this is another message to the women. Remember, there will never be anyone like you ever again. You are a unique imprint of God. You are a unique expression of God that will never grace the earth again. That's how much value you have. You are the hope diamond in the mind and heart of God and humanity. So remember that as well. Beautiful way to end the show. Ladies, leave me with your best contact information. Angelia, I know you've got a beautiful book, which I had the fortune of being gifted. But if anyone wants more information on your work, Piper, you want to go ahead and leave them with the best contact info? Sure. I have many books out, and each of them goes to a different cause. St. Joseph's Hospital for Cancer Treatment of Children. It's Paintbrush Named Pierre and Lyrics, Life, Love, and Lamentations, Victims of Domestic Violence, Trauma, and Human Trafficking. You can find all of that on my website, hyperdellums, all one word, dot com. Beautiful. Angelia? My website is Angelia Dunbar. That's A-N-G-E-L-I-A Dunbar dot com. And you can reach me at 214-476-3091. Beautiful ladies, thank you so much for making this quite informative, very real, very true, very down-to-earth, but also quite inspiring. Really appreciate and respect both of you. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Me too. All the very best. Take care, ladies. All right. Well, what a wonderful story that we've just received as a gift from above, ladies, kids, please. Thing happening to you, which isn't noble or safe, Please reach out for help. Please. 
as Angelia and Piper said, you are not alone, then that can sometimes be the greatest pain. If you feel that you are a victim of domestic violence and you need help, please do not hesitate. Call the National Domestic Violence Hotline at 1-800-799-7233. And I'm sure that Piper will send in the message about a universal code that if you're in need, you go to a pharmacy. For that, we'll have it posted on our site. Well, that was a big one, wasn't it? Yeah, take a deep breath, inhale and exhale. I did take away the power of prayer and the power of reflection, that God will definitely come to your aid. But you've got to listen, you've got to pray deep, and you've got to believe, you've got to have faith. Remember, no one can take away your happiness unless you give them permission. And we really are here to love each other the same. Don't forget to pause every hour on the hour for your traffic control. And remember, you are peace, and to keep generating peace on the planet. Here's Keep the Faith from Lucinda Drayton. Take care, everyone.
I'm Sister Jenna. You've been listening to America Meditating Podcast. You can follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and subscribe to our YouTube channel. Did you enjoy that conversation? Because you can also listen to it on Spotify or on iTunes, 24-7, anytime, anywhere. I do trust we all have inner power to become our very best. When we listen with curiosity to learn more, we grow. So thanks so much for tuning in, and do be easy on yourself. Take care.